because I've got it rolling right now. Friday Arvo, it's about 18 minutes past 12. James, how is it going for a second time in one day, pretending we didn't say hello just now? Very well, so good to see you. Mm, likewise. Yeah, nice. Right. Yeah, we do have things to talk about. Um, we, there is got? just... Just when you asked me, is there anything anything to like to talk about? And I said no. And then I realised actually there is. Of course. Uh, so we've got rev- we've got reviews coming up. We've got Blue Beetle, which is the new DC movie. Okay. For anybody who's still paying attention to any of that. Yeah. Uh, big new Korean movie called Concrete Utopia. Big sort of star-studded uh, disaster drama thing. Uh, we also have Heart of Stone, which is new big budget action packed uh, action thriller on Netflix, starring Gal Gadot. I like doing a lot of those. And then there's the, the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case, court case, uh, documentary series on Netflix, just oh. called Depp v. Heard. All right. Although what I thought I'd start off with, because it's, it, it has reignited one of those topics of discussion that I know you like to get into. Go on in. Which is that Bradley Cooper. Oh, Just yes. unveiled the nose. The, the trait, <laughs> the nose. Exactly. Bradley Cooper just unveiled the trailer for his new movie, Maestro, which is a kind of biopic about Leonard Bernstein. People are saying similar things from what they've seen to what people said about uh, Chaplin, how uncanny the acting was. There you go. Oh, when Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, they said it. Family members said that was Chaplin. And I think people are saying similar now about Bradley. Well, it's interesting because part of the debate, um, the daughters of Leonard Bernstein have definitely stepped in in his defence. So for those who don't know, uh, Bradley Cooper, obviously acclaimed actor, who then recently directed A Star Is Born to great acclaim, uh, is again directing, again he's he's in it himself, uh, again it's music-oriented. And he has a hell of a production team behind him, doesn't he? He certainly does. He certainly does. So it's a biopic on Leonard Bernstein, the great you know, composer, etc. Uh, Carrie Mulligan stars opposite as his long-term love. But all anybody can talk about is the fact that in order to look as close to uh, Bernstein as possible, Bradley Cooper is wearing a prosthetic nose. Well, John Hurt did it. One of, for the for the elephant man. So the point is that I think everybody is raising is that uh, Bradley Cooper is not Jewish. Leonard Bernstein is Jewish, and one of the great sort John of um, cliches, if you like, yeah. of you know what some you know what, a a physical defining feature of Jewish people. The, the cliche is they've got a big nose, and so everybody is jumping on this and saying that this this is, uh, you know, not only is it triggering... Is but it, did, did, I mean, does it look like Bernstein, basically? I mean... It does. It looks just go. like him. <laughs> it looks just like him. But it raises the stink, uh, you know, it's the same topic as basically blackface. It's basically saying that, you know, how dare a, a, a Gentile uh, or a goyim or whatever whatever the Jewish word is or whatever, uh-huh. uh, how dare a non-Jewish person play a Jewish character on screen? How dare they? How dare they? How dare they? And this recently came up again when um, with a, a movie that's about to open in Hong Kong, actually, called Golda, uh, which sees Helen Mirren play, obviously, the former former Israeli uh, leader, Golda Meir. Helen Mirren is not Jewish, and yet she's playing. This her. is where the other, you know, you, this is such a social media post, isn't it? And this is where people start saying, it's acting, love. It's acting, acting, you know, acting like somebody else. Well, it does It does beg the question, where where is the line? And what are you able to portray that you, you do not actually portray in real life? 
in a performance. Well, there, and what, there are no rules that say you can't. Uh, sorry, I, I know you, I'll let you crack on, but there are no rules that say you can't. This has become a generally, it's, it's like what you can and can't play. I mean, there are no rules that mm. say, Bradley, you're not Jewish, so you, the Actors Guild says you cannot play Lenny. Correct. There are no rules. I've, it, you know, it's all it's all been stirred up this time around. You know, we are in this age of sort of diversity, which will play into very heavily into one of the big movies that we're talking about this week. And the argument, if there is one at all, is that it's taking the opportunity away from a Jewish actor to play that character uh, in the same way that were a a non-black character wearing black wear blackface to play that part not only is it very racially insensitive but it's taking the it's taking the the work away from a, a black actor uh but it does beg the question you know well you know do, does that mean that i need to hire a serial killer to play a serial killer <laughs> exactly. does it mean, i mean i'm being Decent facetious genders. obviously well, you're not. It's just a... Well, look, but, you're not being facetious. It's logic. Where is the line? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk these days surrounding um, gay actors playing gay characters, or, or rather well, objections would... to, straight, to straight actors playing straight characters. Yeah. There was a ridiculous thing I saw on... Um, it had been sort of recycled slightly because it was a TikTok thing, and we don't have TikTok here. But, um, uh, and it was more just a, a young critic being completely ridiculous. But Rachel Ziegler, who is the the young actress from West Side Story, who is going to be the new Snow White, yeah. had said in an interview or something that she didn't really know the source material very well, or she'd only seen the film once as a child. And this TikTok critic was so? was outraged was outraged at the fact that she didn't deserve the role because she's not a real fan which obviously raised the issue, what's that got to do with anything? What's the fact that whether whether or not someone is a fan of something... I'll tell you who should be outraged, Marshy, and that's the acting profession. Oh, silly me, they are, right? They're, they are outraged about a number of things at the moment, yes. Still on strike. Uh, what are we, uh, over 100 days in now, coming up four months, I think, something like that. Uh, which is still shaking up the rest of the calendar. Yeah. But yeah, no. But the the fact that these conversations are being uh, stoked, continually stoked and perpetuated, uh, is putting a lot of pressure on on the actors themselves. I think actually, and it's like if you land the part, uh, you know, I don't think you have a responsibility to be overly familiar with the material ahead of time. But what you do then have a responsibility to do is play it to the best of your abilities. Yeah. Have you seen any trailers? for this i mean I, there is a new trailer that yes that's what launched all of this outrage is the trailer for you, Maestro, you really as the movie is called if, if you know if you know how lena bernstein was and looked and sounded you look twice he is lena bernstein i mean no yeah stuff <laughs> and he's got the um he's got the voice down as the well whole I think, bit. Yeah. it's incredible yeah i have that's um High hopes for it. I'm pretty confident. I mean, I thought his incarnation of A Star is Born from a couple of years back was, was great. Like, she was lovely as well. Yeah, Lady Gaga was brilliant. Yeah, she really was. Yeah, I mean, Bradley Cooper is now being lauded as this the next genius, actually. Certainly just reading bits and pieces. They're like, this guy is unstoppable. He is the next... Who would we... Who would we... The next, well, the Leonard Bernstein of the acting world, if you think about it. Lenny was a, a phenomenal conductor, a phenomenal composer, a concert pianist just for fun. I mean, the guy was polymath on crack and bradley's like becoming that. that in the acting world i think he has uh impressed a lot of people i mean by all accounts 
you know, and obviously we only know this through, through many PR filters and what have you. By all accounts, he's, he's a very, very nice bloke. And, you know, he's a very um, he's a nice modest, <laughs> modest chap. And, has you know, he's certainly done his time and worked his way up. And I think time and again, he has kind of confused and confounded and then impressed people. You know, he because he got his break as a... Uh, a comedian, a comic actor, really. Yeah. I mean, he kind of... The first thing I remember seeing him, him in... Crushes. No, The Hangover. Oh, Hangover. Because the first thing I remember seeing him in was Alias, TV show. Isn't he like the boyfriend journalist in uh, in that? And then he, you know, made a few small movies, but then yeah. got big through The Hangover movies, and everyone was like, oh, okay, he's just like the new comedy guy. Uh, but then he started picking up Oscar nominations. He it. was in The Wedding Crashers. He was the horrible, preppy uh, oh, that's fiance. Like, yeah, the, like the, the brother-in-law. Guy, the guy hits in the church and everybody goes, yeah. <laughs> and makes them play like football out on the lawn of their big house in the Hamptons <laughs> anyway, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would just suffice to say that, you know, he then started picking up uh, Oscar nominations for like Silver Linings Playbook and um american hustle and american sniper and movies like that and then he decided to get into directing mm. and his first i think it was his first film star is born knocked it out of the park you know it's a really good movie you could be forgiven for chucking out comparisons here marshy but you know when you think of mm. that kind of career path you've got to mention clint eastwood in a way you know he's he's directing is right. formidable Right, for whom he he obviously starred in American Sniper, which was like this huge hit, quite a surprise hit. Uh, what, what back twenty fifteen, seventeen, something like that, and uh, and Bradley Cooper was Oscar nominated for that. Um, so yeah, he he continues to impress, and I think he's still got a lot of gas left in the tank. You know, he's not an old guy by any stretch. So it'd be interesting. So you're very very keen to see this, and. Uh, very interesting to see how he continues on from here. Yeah, what are we talking? How long? I mean, it's just about to do the business, isn't it? A few weeks, what? It is. It is. It's probably, um, well, it's a Netflix movie, I think, isn't it? Mm. So um, I think what will happen is it will probably, yeah. So it's it's uh, on Netflix for, uh, December 20th, but it will be in selected theatres in November. It'll probably have a healthy um, festival run. I'm not sure if it's playing Venice, but it will probably play Toronto. I will. I will probably see it in Busan, in Korea, which is you know the, the, normally where a lot of these films have their Asian premiere, and that's in early October. We've got about one minute before the news, so we might as well hang on to talk about Depp and Heard. What would you say is your mm. favourite biopic of all time? Let me ask you as well. Join us on Facebook Live if you want to chirp in. What would you say? Blimey, you put me on the spot there. I mean. Uh, if anything, Gosh. I know I know you're not mad about biopics, so no worries. Well, no, I, I love I love a good biopic. I mean, ones that are jumping up uh, just randomly: Raging Bull, Lawrence of Arabia, yes. The Assassination of Jesse James. You know, movies like that are, are all great, but by no means are they necessarily the best. No, not not best. Um, your your favourite? I mean, it's got to be Chaplin for me because that is a special film. But it's all about you. Oh, phew. Okay, finally, <laughs> I'm glad we got that sorted. Out. 
I haven't seen Charlie for a very, very long time. I saw it when it came out, and I was quite a young lad when that happened. Um, I hope it's one I've been meaning to circle back to because obviously Rob Downey Jr.'s fortunes have changed quite remarkably. He was really in trouble when that since. was that was when he was. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, look, we've got to get to the news. So. It, was a, it was a huge gamble. Yeah. Have a think whilst the news is on. I'm just curious where you know what your favourite part. Obviously, the Elephant Man we mentioned in jest, but boy, that's a heck of a film. Anyway, have a cup of tea. It sure is. And we'll be back in just a second. So the weather for right. That was uh, Stu. Tom, Rob, Anna-Marie with the news, who will be back at one o'clock anyway, as expected. A couple of people have chimed in with biopics. I promise we'll get to the goodies. I promise, because you've got some It's stuff. fine. Yes. Yeah. Let's um, talk to people. Yeah, just for a second. We're on Facebook Live. The Brew is our page. Dave from Aussie just says hello. And then he says Gandhi for me as a biopic. And Steve says Bohemian Rhapsody. I love it, but I know Marshy has a less than stellar opinion of it. So we've got Gandhi and Bohemian Rhapsody. There you go. Okay, well, Gandhi, sure. And that's Dickie Attenborough, who obviously did Chaplin as well. So, you know, well done there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody's bobbins. Sorry, Steve. Uh, <laughs> the Live Aid bit works great, but the rest of the movie is nonsense. And uh, I thought Rami Malek's performance was pretty terrible. So um, having a quick look, actually, a quick scan through, because I, I do keep a list of, of like my favourite films for just moments like this. On, and man. a couple that jump off, a couple of the early ones that jump off, so older films, are actually, interestingly, they're both kind of like fake biopics, but oh, they're both yeah. brilliant, Same and I think they story. deserve a... Well, there's... Well, no, no, I mean, like, not about real people, but done in the model. So, obviously, Citizen Kane is, yes. you know, Lit. a thinly-veiled biopic of uh, William Randolph Hearst, but it is... Not it's not about a real person. And another one which I absolutely love is the life and death of Colonel Blimp, <laughs> which is Powell and Pressburger, which is just if you haven't seen it, it's an absolute triumph of, of British cinema by Powell and Pressburger, who are two of the all time greats. And it is a is following, you know, the the life and storied history of a you know a serviceman during uh, you know arguably well, the most tumultuous period if, of uh, the British. If you're going empire. down that avenue, you've got to mention Forrest Gump. Or you possibly would mention. Sure. Yeah, because no, it's yeah, not sure. a bio, it's exactly it's, the, it's the human bio. It's know. exactly the same. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Greg. Greg exactly. joins us on Facebook Live, and he says, love Bohemian Rhapsody, and Rocket Man says Greg. For now, Greg gets the last word. Rocket Man? Rocket Man? Rocket Man? Rocket Man? <laughs> what do you reckon? Rocket Man. Uh, it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Come on, let's get on to your stuff. What do you want to talk about? Okay. All right, well, we should spend a couple of minutes on Blue Beetle very quickly. Uh, this is, uh, what now, the 14th movie in the DC universe. Right at the moment, they're really just trying to get rid of them all now because there is about to be this huge change of uh, you know, upper management and everything at DC, uh, which is still under the Warner Brothers uh, umbrella. And this, but this one does, is the first one, I think, to come out that does have the tag of the new producers, it's it's credited as being um part, as from the Saffron company, and Peter Saffron is one half of the new regime that's coming in, along with James Gunn. You know who's the big who's who's the big name because it's like it's like um Ryan Reynolds and Rob McInerney to both taking over Wrexham. You know only one only people only remember one of them, and James Gunn is the other one. However, so this is. So kind of interesting because it's a lower tiered character. It's a younger superhero, so he often fights alongside the Teen Titans rather than sort of the the uh, Justice League. Yeah. So he's you know not the same generation as Batman, Superman, but he's you know younger ones. So he'll fight with like Nightwing and, and people like that. Um, and it is a wholly, almost completely sort of Latin ex Hispanic. Um, 
story. So as the DC um are they all Latino do, though? They use, they're all they're all Latino <laughs> and they're all played Paul's you know chain. by you know but this is this so in, in that regard it's very similar to like Black Panther or something like that. You know they've really gone out of their way to ensure that the casting is, you know, they've, they've thrown the net as wide as possible in order to cast authentically. And this go, does go back to the character. Um, although, and more than one person has played the Blue Beetle character in the, in the comics in the past, um, the current iteration is Jaime Reyes, who is a, a young lad, just a fresh university graduate, who uh, lives in a place called, I want to say... It's yeah, Palmera City, which is basically Miami, but you know in DC they it's it's Gotham and Metropolis and whatever you know, so they make it up. Uh, there is a suggestion at the beginning, but only a visual one, that he has just graduated from Gotham City University and he's just coming home. So anyway, so he arrives home and he's he's looking for a job. His family are in trouble. Their home is about to be repossessed. Uh, you know they they live in the kind of keys and huge urban renewal is going on and their their home is, and life you know livelihood is is under threat and so he goes um to try and get a job at the uh, the cord industries which is this great big behemoth of a uh, of, of an evil company run they're always by, like, you never um, get a nice company yeah. in these things do you no there's Lovely. never sort of a benevolent industry that yeah we're just out to help Sells cakes uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, make yeah makes cakes and gives them to children. <laughs> right. no, never happens. Never happens. So Victoria, called played by Susan Sarandon, uh, is sort of the the evil matriarch of this company, and they specialise, wouldn't you know it, in sort of um, bio weapons technology, uh, a sort of something akin to a like a, a chip that you put in the back of a person, and it kind of you know uh, what's the word. Aligns with their body, synthesizes with their body. What's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember. Uh, with their body and, and creates super, takes over their body and creates like super Symb- soldiers. Symbios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, right? That. The, the verb of that, yes. Uh, <laughs> and um, it all the, their technology that they're using seems to uh, stem from a blue scarab beetle, which is some kind of ancient artifact. Is it otherworldly? Is it just from an ancient civilization? It's always a scarab as well, isn't it? In, you know, the Scorpion King and all these ancient... It's always a scarab, and they're very Mm. scary in films. It is, and and you you essentially uh, have the freedom to make up whatever it is, whether it's magic or whatever it is. This seems to be some kind of technology. Suffice to say that Jaime... Uh, on his arrival at the uh, at Cord Industries, where he takes an immediate liking to uh, the young niece of uh, of of the Cord Empire, called Jenny Cord, played by Bruna Marquezine. I hope I'm not butchering that. Uh, she, in a panic, gives him the yeah, scarab don't, to don't hide. Don't trigger me, he, please. I will do my best. <laughs> Suffice to say, he takes it home. It fuses with him. It quote unquote chooses him, and he becomes you know, the blue be- beetle. Mm. And that gives him all kinds of special powers. It kind of gives him an AI technology inside his brain, inside his body, which will protect him at all costs. And that includes sort of morphing his arms into various weapons, enabling him to fly and fight people who are much stronger than him. And wouldn't you know it, that puts him into direct conflict with the cord industries, people who are trying to monetize okay. the exact same technology so you've got a little bit of kind of iron man in there with the with the kind of the suit that talks to you and a little bit of the spider-man movies i think it's far from home 
where Tony Stark gives Peter Parker a new suit and that kind of talks to him and it's far more powerful than he is and there's very much a learning curve of negotiation with this AI that can... uh, that can kill you just, uh, you know, mistakenly just as easily as it can save your life. So there's a little bit of, of that going on. There's a bit of Ant-Man in there as well, because if you remember from Ant-Man, uh, Scott, the character that Paul Rudd plays, um, was very much sort of the second generation of the Ant-Man character. You know, Hank Pym, Michael Douglas's character, who was the character from the comics back in the day, he had designed the technology. He then got too old and he passed it on to somebody else. Yes. So there, And there is an element of that because fans of the Blue Beetle character will know that one of the previous iterations of the character was a guy called Ted Cord. And Mm. Cord, does that name ring a bell? Cord Industries? Ted Cord was the Blue Beetle. He didn't have special powers, but he used science and technology, very much like um, Hank Pym in Ant-Man does, to create a suit that works, and then that technology was passed on. Uh, so the the ghost of Ted Kord, that character, the previous Blue Beetle, is is there in the um, in the DNA of this story as well. Okay, uh, I went into this with actually very low expectations. You know, this really felt like a bit of an afterthought. Like it was really sort of DC and Warner Brothers just clear, clearing the pipes of everything that was still in the works. It was no surprise for me to read and to discover that this was originally created to be a direct to HBO Max movie. There was no original plan to have a theatrical release, but then I, I think it appears that they were happy with how the project was developing and they thought, okay, we will give this a run out in theatres. Yeah. Um, now, what I appreciate about this film is that it is a sort of a low it has lower stakes you know it realizes that it's a sort of a lower tier character people will be unfamiliar with blue beetle you mentioned this a few times the last time we've done superheroes is this a thing now they're going for the so-called ensemble players and giving them a real Mm. profile well i think it is and i I understand the temptation to want to do that you know we're at a time now where the, the superhero market is so saturated uh, that there is, um, there's kind of a built-in audience now. You kind of know that it's going to going to do okay, and so why not explore some of these lesser characters, give them a run out for the first time, rather than just doing yet another Batman movie, yet another Superman. What was the one Superman a few weeks movie? ago that you really liked? And it was uh, uh, kind of almost like rotoscoped or something. You, it was one you really enjoyed. It'll come back to us. Oh, th- that was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I no, think. No, no, Anyway, a few weeks ago. It was definitely a B character in those in that universe, and you just said it was great. Really enjoyed it. Never mind. We'll come back. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember off the top. This is the thing. There are so many now. Yeah. Uh, so what? I was pleasantly surprised by just how sort of likable this was. I think the young lad, Sholo Mariduena, who I think is on Cobra Kai, the TV show. Mm. So I think if you've seen that, you should be familiar with him. I'd never seen him in anything before. He's a very likable young lead, you know, good-looking Latina actor. Uh, and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him. He's great, uh, as is uh, Bruna Marquezine, who plays his love interest, who plays the, the, the niece of Susan Sarandon's evil uh, matriarch character. She's uh, Brazilian. haven't seen yep. her in anything before. And there's a nice sort of... It has that sort of nice, bubbly sort of family family feel to it. This is definitely aiming at a slightly younger audience. Uh, obviously, he's surrounded by an, an eccentric family of of wayward uncles and uh, you know, seeming seemingly innocent grandmas and what have you. And 
it plays into that kind of stereotype about there being always being a big family around these characters and and they always want to get involved in their everyday life and uh, it can be invasive but here that it's all used as arguably another superpower and I, an interesting spin on it as well is that he ha there is no secret identity as such he his whole family finds out the the same instant that he does that he is the blue beetle so they're all kind of in it together from the beginning where do you fall when it comes to um the reveal when it comes to superheroes so here you have one everybody knows and then you get your classic superman where do you where do you fit in on that well i mean superman's the outlier isn't he really because it's it's mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent That's who I mean. is the disguise. Right? I mean, how did you feel when Spider-Man revealed himself to his girlfriend, for instance? Well, it's it's a tricky moment. You've got to do it well. I actually quite appreciate the fact that in some of these uh, later movies now, some of the reboots that they're doing, they're not even bothering with kind of the reveal and the origin story uh, anymore. You know, we know he got bitten by a radioactive spider. You know, we know that Batman's parents got gunned down in an alleyway when he was a child. Move on, you know. And so I appreciate that they're they're taking a lot of this stuff as red now. I mean to the characters in the film. Sorry, I mean to the characters in the film. You, there's always that 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 tension building up to: Is he going to take mm. his mask off? Yeah, go on. And then you think: Well, if he takes his mask off, it could be all over. Right. Well, they. What was it? I liked that they did make that such a plot point in Spider-Man, yeah. particularly in the Tobey Maguire exactly. ones, where he became so emburdened by the fact that there are other people who now know my secret identity, and now I have put them in danger <laughs> because, and they will, and they will always be now my Achilles' heel. You got in, it. In return, Steve says he thinks the Iron Man reveal was the best. Tony Stark calls a press con and just says, "Hey, I'm Iron Man." <laughs> Yeah, and it was it was um, very nicely riffed again because that was that's the final line of Iron Man. You know, he calls the press conference to say something else, and then he goes, "Actually, I am Iron Man," and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And they riffed on that very well at the end of uh, Endgame, where he he gets Thanos's gauntlet and clicks his fingers to to uh, to beat him in the end, and says the exact same thing. So yeah, so it can work really really well. I, I agree that it is definitely one of those moments that uh these these movies sort of hang upon and i just liked that the subversion of that in this one where it's no secret to anybody everybody immediately knows who he is or those around him his loved ones and uh it plays it plays to everyone's advantage i think okay. so yeah so it was it was small scale it's not going to blow the doors off anything um but i kind of just appreciated the uh the, the, the lack of pretension, the way it didn't take itself too seriously. It's interesting the nature of so-called superheroes, or anybody who lives within these universes and, and worlds in the 21st century versus superheroes, say, 50 years ago. The, the shadow of mystery isn't, isn't so well, it's not so well guarded these days, is it? Just as you've said. Well, I think it plays into, uh, you know, the fact that we are also in, interconnected these days than we were back in the past. It was, it was quite, I would imagine it's quite, it was a lot easier to remain anonymous way back then. But these days, obviously, it's harder. You're in the public eye all the time. you got it. Who knows? These are the big, these are the big questions that superhero movies raise, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, interesting. You know, sorry, James, you've got loads to talk about, but listeners, you know, they can be such a... Oh, bring them on. <laughs> yeah. No, it's all good. I mean, saying things like, saying things like, actually, 84 Charing Cross Road is one of my favourites as a biopic. Is it a biopic or is it just a true story? Yeah, that's a good one. I think it's a true story, but then the people... <clears throat> I mean, it is a true story. The people within it, it must be about... That's a good question, actually. Good, you should be a teacher. 
Actually, no, you really shouldn't be. Nah. Yeah. All right, then. I think we've got time for one more properly, Moshi. Do you want to do well, Johnny? Yeah, why not? I, th- I think I don't know if people are interested or not, but Netflix has just released uh, a three-part documentary series called Dep v. Heard, all about their uh, public defamation uh, lawsuit mm. last <laughs> year Everybody in was really Virginia. O- over it, weren't they? <clears throat> yeah. But what the documentary does is it is it does an interesting thing in the way that it sets it up. Is it is it edits the two testimonies side by side, right across the three. Um, episodes so you know on each question that is put to either Amber Heard or Johnny Depp you see her response then his response then his response then her response rather than you know days apart which they were in the real case um what it also focuses on is obviously the, the complete media saturation of it not only by official media outlets but by the number of amateur sort of self uh, declared legal commentators, uh, you know, social commentators who were on YouTube and TikTok, uh, talking about it nonstop and in the process ra- raking in a lot of money. You know, there was so much interest in all of this, in, in the, the live commentaries and the instant reactions and responses on a day by day basis, analyzing every single physical gesture and response to questioning, you know, it, in a, in a way that you know, not even like the O.J. Simpson trial had. Certainly nothing else in between. Yep. Uh, and then all of these people were sort of heavily profiting for it and, and also proving to be incredibly influential about the public opinion of the outcome, even though they have no basis in or no background in uh, in the law or anything like that. And I think that those parts of the documentary are far more interesting. Okay. And looking at the danger, the danger of social media as a as a tool for manipulation. Would you have watched this if you didn't have to? I what? Possibly not. not. However, <laughs> what I will say is that when it was when it was on, I probably did check in every day and just watch it like a little bit here and there and to see what people were saying. Cause you know, I was vaguely curious it just in a kind of rubbernecking kind of car crash uh, regards. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to And what, what was interesting in this was just how it was positioned within the public discourse. Yeah. It was bringing Facebook, Facebook energy back to the screen, which is kind of interesting. Yes, for sure. But it was also interesting because, uh, you know, Amber Heard wrote this, op-ed which for which she was being sued by johnny depp uh and she positioned herself as a champion of the me too movement you know as a victim who was going to refuse to be a victim and was going to take down this powerful white man for the things that he was getting away with Mm. uh and then so there was a lot of goodwill and opinion on his her side going in and then it was interesting to see the sea change and the shift once they were, you know, on the stand and giving their responses, how public opinion swayed far more closer to uh, Johnny Depp and uh, decided, whether it was right or not, decided that she was lying and that she was faking it all and uh, and that actually she was just trying to squeeze him dry. We've got a couple more minutes left with James. What did you think about this if you've seen it? Depp v. Heard, just chuck a comment up on our Facebook feed. I'm curious because people who watch mm. and join in with us on this section, they're obviously diehard movie fans and or streaming dramas, etc. But this, yeah, whatever. What do you think? Right. Well, while while we wait just to see if they're going to do that, no. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would just very, very quickly, I do want to 
point a finger at this new Korean movie, which which is out. Go on. Called um, Concrete Utopia. So I've just been distracted by a giant gecko that just nice. ran out the wall beside nice. me. Um, okay, which has just been announced yesterday that it's Korea's selection for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. This is very early in the year to be making those selections, but I guess they've looked at the calendar and seen that nothing big is coming out. And although this has already premiered uh, in Korea and obviously opens here this weekend, yep. it, um, it will be playing a couple of big festivals, notably Toronto and what have you, in the coming months, and they want to get a lot of eyeballs on it. It's a big star-studded cast uh, led by Lee Byung-hyun and Park Soo-jeon and is essentially about, in the wake of a massive... Uh, earthquake, one apartment block remains standing. Yep. Only one. And so everybody, all the survivors in the area descend on that block. They're looking for somewhere, shelter, somewhere to, uh, somewhere to, uh, live. And the residents have to make the difficult decision about are we going to let them in? Are we going to hold them off at bay? And the power struggles that ignite within and it becomes sort of this microcosm allegory for, uh, not only Korea's <laughs> aspirational housing crisis where you know everybody's success is judged by where they yeah. live and what kind of apartment they've got and what have you but also just the sort of the rise of authoritarianism and you know despotic leadership we're living in a strange time marshy where every movie that comes mm. out somebody somewhere thinks it's an allegory <laughs> well so many of them are <laughs> particularly particularly these really kind of high concept ones which tap into some social issues but do so yeah uh you know on on a uh, on a different canvas. Do check it out. Concrete Utopia. It's, it's actually really good. Lovely. Well done. Brilliant stuff. We'll catch up next week at a similar time. Marshy Movie Time will be back. Cheers, James. Have a great weekend. <laughs>